The week is almost over, so pour that coffee. And let's discuss what's going on in Milwaukee, Madison, Washington, and beyond. It's the Political Power Hour on WTMJ Now. Joining Steve Scafidi, here's Joe Sapecki and Bill McCaution. Should we talk about the government? Oh, we're going to talk about the government. It's a rare 10 o'clock appearance, so you guys slept late? I know you didn't, Joe, but Bill, did you sleep later today? You look well-rested. That was going to be my joke, was the extra hour of sleep. (laughs) you got no idea what's coming. Oh, so (laughs) Bill McCaution, Republican strategist, Joe Sapecki on the Democratic side, um, First of all, Happy New Year. Happy New to Year. To you as well. And, and listeners. listeners. Yeah. And uh, I know that people listen because they're all asking, like, where's Bill and Joe at nine? Well, we had special guests. But mostly where's Joe, right? Mostly. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> I see a lot of Makashi love out there. If they followed us on Twitter, they would saw a little banter this yeah, morning. Yeah, we got we got into it early. Oh, yes. you did? I oh, missed yeah. that. On a different I, medium. I was working. <laughs> all right. So you heard the comments. I hope you heard the comments of uh, retired Navy Rear Admiral Michael Smith. We did. What do you think? Uh Let's start with where I disagreed with him. <clears throat> I, I I disagree that Trump doesn't respect the military. I think the evidence I would use to support my theory that he does is there was there he infused more money into the military than any president in history, and the pre, the military had had uh, deteriorated quite a bit under both Republican and Democratic administrations, and I think Trump largely fixed that, put him back on the right track. Um, the other things he said. You know, it's hard to argue with a bunch of them. And I think that will be the biggest challenge Donald Trump has if and when he becomes the nominee is, you know, defending the chaos in his administration. It's not just this military aspect or the foreign affairs aspect, but there's all kinds of chaos that surrounded that first term that are going to cause voters some pause. And and that, I think, is his Achilles heel from an electoral standpoint. The Admiral made a great point. In his first term, he surrounded himself with some pretty smart people. Who until had, he got rid of them. Until he got rid of them. My fear is, and I think a lot of Americans' fears is, in this next term, because he's already basically said it, right? He's going he's gonna to throw everybody out, including really experienced, smart people who have historical experience in the jobs that they do. That's my fear. So I think the guys he surrounded himself, uh, McMaster, uh, all of the generals initially gave him credibility he did not have particularly on military affairs issues. And and then he, one by one, uh, got rid of them. And in, in a lot of places, he didn't replace them with uh, equal talent. Let's put it that way. This is a great point, and I think it speaks to another point the Admiral made about the millions and millions of Americans who don't follow every twist and turn of the news cycle, who... They don't know who H.R. McMaster versus John Kelly versus Mad Dog Mattis is. And so what is really important, at, if Trump is the nominee, is that trusted people are out there communicating the, the nature of the threat. And it's not just former national security leaders like Admiral Smith. We communicated a little bit during the break. There were three young women. I don't think any of them are 30 who worked for Donald Trump, who appeared on one of the Sunday shows over the break. And these young women who worked closely with the president, you know, through the end, so lived and saw January 6th up close, their courage in telling a reporter and telling the American people what they saw and how severe a threat Donald Trump is 
not to your 401k or to our politics, to the Constitution. Again, I know Admiral Smith said this, but for anyone who served as President of the United States to say what Donald Trump has said, which is we should suspend the Constitution and I should be reinstated as president. That's not how that works. That is the threat as he sees it. There's going to be a lot of voices out there saying it, which is one of the electability challenges Donald no Trump is going to have and is why I'm you know, not saying nice things about any of the other Republicans, lest I hurt them. <laughs> one of the things that I've gleaned from talking about this for three years, and, and I'm not a Trump supporter, so, and, and people know that, is that... There are a lot. I raised this question with the admiral. There's 70 million, maybe more now. Who knows? Yeah, maybe less. People that are out there, good, decent, honest, God-fearing, tax-paying friends, neighbors, family, who say, you know what? He blew it up. He challenged our expectations. He he did things differently. He accomplished some of the things that conservatives, Republicans wanted. We wanted a conservative court. He he did that. He he got a tax cut in 20 in 2017. Right. Yep. Those are accomplishments. And I have a hard time or a, a difficulty in telling folks who are adamant Trump supporters they can vote for they, who they want to vote for. I, I try to bring different alternative viewpoints on the risks of that, and some of that was presented at 930. But ultimately, people are going to make that decision themselves. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen, I, I've said this on the program before. There is a way for Trump to win against Biden if it is a choice election. But it, then it'll come down to what is the choice. Are you more interested in your uh, the the border economics or the chaos, right? And and both sides can make pretty strong arguments. I think it's one of the reasons, Steve and Joe, why two thirds of Americans want different choices. Yeah. They don't want these two guys. Yet we're about to get both of these guys. Yeah, uh, we, we can ask for that, but we're not going to get. Them. I'll make a bold prediction. He got seventy million votes last time. He will get fewer if he is the nominee this time. That doesn't mean he can't win. I agree with both dis- of things. Because the dissatisfaction with the candidates may lead to a drop in turnout. I think that is going to happen. But Donald Trump hasn't done anything since he lost the election in 2020 to add people to his coalitions. My friend Bill McCoshin says all the time, politics is about addition. Correct. He has not added anyone. Well, well, let me question on that, though. So there's been some polling that suggests Hispanic voters may be more inclined to vote for Trump than Biden. I've seen that in, certainly in Florida. Uh, I've seen some polling that suggests young people, which is stunning to me, may support Trump over Biden. Now, again, that's polling. Yes, it is polling, and with those demographic subgroups, the margins of error are much, much higher. And right. when you look at the election results, right, the signal, not the noise of polling, the last couple of years have been way better for Democrats than you would have thought overperforming historical averages in elections, not in polling, in votes, their historical performance to the tune of something like 26 out of the last 28 special elections around the country. That tells me more about the strength of the Democratic coalition and what I mean is the overall size of the Trump coalition. It's just not bigger today. If I'm Joe Biden, I'm deeply concerned about the young coalition, right? The young people. He he won them by double digits and then some in 2020. And and I don't know that that can happen for him again. They're not as motivated against Donald Trump as they were at that time. I don't know that abortion or Israel or whatever. I think Israel is actually Israel and Hamas are fracturing young voters significantly, which is 
a key part of the Democratic coalition. So I, th- I think if I'm Biden's administration, I'm deeply concerned about where young voters are. If I'm Trump's administration, I'm not counting on those folks turning out. I think it's more likely they return to their historical pattern of not voting. He is Bill McCoshin, Joseph Pecky, also alongside in studio. We're just getting warmed up on the political power hour, the 10 o'clock edition, which is a rare. I don't think we've ever done it this late, have we? One time. I thought we did 11 we're, o'clock Yeah, we went to lunch. Yeah. We had lunch oh, that's yeah. right. We've never we done this yeah. hour. You guys are smarter than me, and I say that every week. All right, quick break here. Back to political power hour after this. We were talking during the break, and if you don't know if this is a political power hour, we're moving from 9 to 10 because we have some special guests in the 9 o'clock hour, and we're chatting. We haven't been together for like three weeks. What do we What do we all miss in the three weeks that we've been away from each other? I know well, you guys had a lot of fun. I saw the pictures. Well, the first Friday we missed was Supreme Court State Supreme Court decision day, where they ruled on the maps. Um, I was not stunned by that. Really, by the, by the fact that they ruled. I had heard some rumors that it was going to be before the holidays, and you know the decision that there being new maps sort of forced their hand. You don't have an inside track to this liberal majority in the I state don't. Supreme Court? I don't. It was rumors. I'm sure you heard them, too. That people were saying, there's yeah, going to be this week. I heard them from you. I don't think I, it surprised well, anybody, really. <laughs> and so, because what they said You're was... favorite these, liberal, by the way. These maps are not constitutional. you got to have new man. ones. Uh, it's just a question of timing. Because in order to get this done ahead of nomination papers, declarations of candidacy... They sort of had to get it done, and, and so they did. So. Who are these experts they've, they've paid $100,000 each to? Who are there's, well, there's two of them. There's yes. two. Yeah. But it's yeah. not Joe from Monaco. It's not no. Joe from Monaco. It was a no-bid contract. <laughs> I actually reached out to him, but he's tied up. He, he's involved in the case. Yes, exactly. So I was being nice. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can't comment. Uh, right. I wish he could. Oh, because he's, he's smart. He's the best. He's the best. Yeah. He's absolutely the best. I, you know, I think we will see... Before our show next Friday, I believe whether or not the the Wisconsin Supreme Court decision stands. And the reason is Republicans have already appealed this to the United States Supreme Court under 14, under the 14th Amendment due process clause, that they didn't have enough time to draw new maps. The, the Constitution of the Wisconsin the state of Wisconsin only allows the legislature to draw maps. It does not allow the Supreme Court to draw maps. So uh, they've appealed under that portion of the 14th Amendment, plus they've asked the question about whether or not Janet Protasiewicz could actually sit and hear that case because she took more than half of all of her donations from the Democratic Party who got those from liberal special interests across the country, Mm -hmm. primarily California. So it's entirely possible the United States Supreme Court will have a different answer before next Friday. If they do not, then this decision requires all parties to submit new maps by next Friday sort of important because the legislature doesn't actually come back until January 16th. Next Friday is January 12th. So how does that process work? Then? They so they're just a, submitting maps that have never been approved. And they don't have a lot of work days. Like, I think the legislature is going to be done by mid-February. Uh, the end of February. Well, that's yeah. what, that's yeah. what Speaker Voss said when he was yeah. on the show. Yep. Yeah. By the way, that was a great interview. Thank you. So it, it, we'll see how this process plays itself out, but... Yeah, we have miles we are and miles now, to go. We are now being asked to have maps that have never been approved by the legislature submitted, which means Democrats will have maps, Republicans will have maps, there could be third parties that have maps, and then this court's going to choose, and they're, they're going to use these consultants if they can't find a reasonable map to draw new lines. But they have also clarified one of the rationales that Republicans used in their last go-round, which I think, listen, I'm no legal expert, my analysis is colored by people I trust and listening to them. The notion that least change 
was a constitutional, you know, wish for maps was a fallacy. It always was. And so what they have done is tried to clarify, you know, what should be the priorities. And now they'll try again. What I will say is what I've said all along. And Bill and I were on a Sunday show over the break. Any Democrat who thinks that all of a sudden we now have some slam dunk and we're going to be the majority party in the state legislature, wake up. You're dreaming. Yeah, I agree with that. Th- these maps will be fairer, and my sincere hope is that we can arrive somewhere where there are between 10 and 20 truly competitive districts. Yeah. So that, right, because you, you cannot draw a map where there's 132 competitive districts. That's no. just not how this works. Mm-mm. The idea is to have more competition so that as the whims of the public change and sour on one part, political party and you know another is ascendant that you actually have a chance of control of a legislature changing and right now the maps there's just no way for that to happen but the bottom line thing is it has to get done yes because we have an election and elections coming. it has to get done but getting done could mean that the supreme court says there's not enough time and we're going to stick with the maps we have so it's possible. your listeners are super educated and they listen to this particular hour every week to get both sides of the story i actually wrote a 2000 plus word white paper on this and you can find it at wisconsin right now that was submitted released this week that goes through more of the details this is actually much simpler than most people are making it but it's also very complicated right the average person doesn't understand how this process started, where it's at today, and where it's going from here. But at the end of the day, I think one of the biggest portions of that decision was this Supreme Court, led by four liberal justices, did not force 33 senators to run at the same time. That was, in my opinion, Democrats' best hope of taking one of the two houses, and that doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. The average ordinary citizen also can't understand how, on the one hand, Republicans are arguing a 14th Amendment rationale before the Supreme Court, but screaming bloody murder that the Colorado State Supreme Court has basically, because of a different section of the 14th Amendment, said Donald Trump is ineligible to run for president. I mean, we've got time for that after the break. Yeah, let's, but, let's hold that thought. But that's another big one we missed. Yeah, and, and the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, is going to be real busy in the year ahead. There's yeah. things getting thrown at them every week. All right, Bill McCotch and Joseph Pecky, Political Power Hour, the 10 o'clock version, right here on WTMJ. I'm just patting these guys on the back during the break. <laughs> Bill McCotch and Republican strategist Joseph Pecky on the Democratic side of things. We have a busy show today, but... I said we cannot cancel the political power. Our people go crazy. They will they will ride in the streets like they did on January sixth. Well, not the streets, the U.S. pitchforks and torches in the street, huh? <laughs> That's really? Right. Because you guys, you two gentlemen, are very popular. Thank, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Having fun on a With Friday. Whom? Yeah. Right? All right. So yeah. some of the things that we didn't get to talk about when we were off, and although you guys were still doing stuff all over the place, because you are popular and, and you're smart, and people want your opinions, um, the race continues for the Republican nomination for president. It doesn't really continue for the Democrats because it's going to be Joe Biden, it looks like. Correct. All right, so what what have we gleaned in the last few weeks on this race? I, I guess the next debate will have less people, I'm hearing. Oh, yeah, what is the final tally? It's down to two. Yeah. Well, it's three, but Trump's not coming. Right. So it's, it's just Haley. DeSantis and yes. Haley. Yes. Yes. So progress, Bill. Yes and no. I mean, the debate actually ends up being at the same time as now Donald Trump is going to have a town hall on Fox News Channel. Of course he is. Which is, you know, if I'm CNN, I move it, right? I, don't go head to head with him. I think the voters of Iowa deserve better than that. 
but he, you know, he's run his campaign so far and it's been successful. He's up in most polls between 30 and 45 points. So you can't argue with the strategy they've deployed, but we're now down to, you know, the final 10 days and until the primary. And these are all about expectations. The expectation for Donald Trump is he will win going away in Iowa. Right. And what do I mean by that? So since polls have him anywhere from 30 to 40 points up, if he performs less than that, he's underperformed, theoretically. Doesn't mean that if he wins by 15, he's he's dying and bleeding to death, that kind of thing. But And it, and it might in some other situation, but not in this one, because he's the first incumbent to ever run you know, for a second term. And he lost the Iowa caucuses last yeah, time. Yeah, that was never right. one before. Yeah. And his exposure comes in the next one. Yeah, yeah. it definitely does. Uh, but this is sort of Ron DeSantis' Waterloo. He, he, the expectation right now is that he's in second place, a distant second place, but now marginally ahead of Nikki Haley, although I think she may have hurt herself with a comment in New Hampshire this week, in, at least as it relates to Iowa voters. So if he comes in with, with in single digits, even if it's nine points, if he's within single digits of Donald Trump in Iowa, it's a win for him, right? He's exceeded expectations because all the polling had him way, way, way back from that. If he loses second place to Nikki Haley, I think he's done. I don't think there's any way to recover from that. This isn't John McCain from 2008. There's no pathway. His next move on the chessboard is after this thing's done. What drives me nuts about the way they do these things is he, the Sanders could beat Haley in Iowa yes. and then lose miserably in New Hampshire. Which is likely to happen. So why why do we put all that stock in Iowa and, and not in New Hampshire? To build some momentum. And truthfully, in, in, in my opinion, Steve, in both cases, it's really about putting a dent in Donald Trump. If DeSantis can do it in Iowa, and then Haley's now within four points in a multi-candidate race on the latest poll in New Hampshire. If she pulls off an upset in New Hampshire, well, then it's a game changer, right? Then it becomes, all of a sudden, South Carolina voters are saying, hey, wait a minute, right? She did represent us once as governor, and she was the ambassador of the United Nations. Maybe, maybe something is happening, and it's time to make a change. The reality for Republican voters is... I think, this is me saying this, second place matters. I'll answer the question. You can answer it. Something could happen in 2024. Yes. Whether it's an upset of Donald Trump in the, in the, in the primaries, I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. One of these trials, he gets convicted at some point. If that happens before the election, that's a game changer, in my opinion, because I've seen the polling that suggests if he's convicted, his support drops significantly. Right. That's why, in my opinion, second place matters. Do you agree? I do agree. I, I think... As it relates to Haley and DeSantis, they want to hang in there as long as they can. It gets harder for DeSantis because the money dries up. If he if he underperforms in Iowa, I don't see where the rest of the money comes from to remain competitive. If Haley overperforms, she's going to get a, an influx of new cash, which she's already had in the last month, to not only compete in uh, New Hampshire but also South Carolina and Nevada. Those are the first four. And then we get to Super Tuesday, and it's you know we'll see where we're at at that point. Right, Joe's eyes are as big as eggs. I mean, your the two of you's <laughs> combined optimism that there is a way to stop Trump is adorable, and I <laughs> it's just not totally infectious because I don't buy it. When I like I listen, and again, just so we're clear, I do not want Trump to be the GOP nominee. I, I want. What you guys want. Are your I want fingers it to be crossed? someone other than Trump. But what I see, right? I've, I use this analogy all the time. I'm always looking for the signal and trying to avoid the noise. What I see is after more than a year, Donald Trump announced very, very early, and he had a really hard time 
getting Republican members of Congress and the United States Senate to formally endorse him. It was sort of an undercover thing. It was like, wow, they really are waiting. They really are, are maybe the courage looks like just waiting for votes to be cast. But in the last week to 10 days, he's getting U.S. senators who are Republicans. He's getting members of the Republican leadership in the House. It, it looks to those politicians like this thing is over and Trump is going to be the GOP nominee. So I hope you're right. But tea leaves that others are reading would suggest this thing's going to be over by South Carolina. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, this year is going to be nuts. It, for it a lot of different reasons. Nuts. Nonstop nuts. Yeah. Every, you know, I'm going to be doing shows. Good thing we rested up for three weeks, yeah. right? There's a reason I'm bringing judges and attorneys on because <laughs> some of this stuff I can't digest, and I we need to know what's going to happen to the president, former president of the United States in all of these cases, which last time I checked are still ongoing with the Supreme Court decisions looming. Yep. All right, we, we're just getting started, and it's already 1034. Oh, my goodness. We've got to jam it all in. We've got to get another quick break here. Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky, the political power hour, the best political conversation in the state of Wisconsin, and perhaps beyond. I'm saying maybe Chicago, too. Raise your hand out there. I have a lot of Illinois listeners. I don't know what happens in Chicago, to be honest. Are they having an intelligent conversation on a Friday? I don't think so. Not about football, for sure. No. Amen. Well well done, Joseph Pecky. Hope you're all in a good mood today. We are in a great mood. I'm looking forward to the weekend, though. I've got a, a day off, and then, of course, the big Packers tilt on Sunday, which I will be at. And I I feel good about the game, but I never take anything for granted, having you know been a Packers fan for as long as I have. You never know, and we saw what happened last year, Bill. Well, with the youngest team in the league, you're not sure week to week what you're going to get, right? We expected to beat the Giants. We didn't. We got smacked. Uh, we expected to beat Tampa at home. We didn't. We expected to... Mm-hmm compete with the Vikings, but probably not pull it off, and we crushed them. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it looks like all of our weapons will be back this week. Jordan Love is playing at his historic best right now. How's so. Reed's ribs? What's He's, coming back. He's yeah. coming back. He's coming back. Everybody's coming back, yeah. including potentially Christian Watson, which is uh, a good development. Watson practiced all week, so yeah. I'm bullish on the game on Sunday. I think our friend, did you have him at 8-9 and nine or 9-8? Nine and eight? I had him at 8-9. and nine. Yeah, that's what I had. So you, then I you could to, still come in on that bet. I, I don't want to. The six at and I, a losing streak. And <laughs> what I so we were talking about this with Brandon Snide this morning off air. Remember, way back machine last year, one year ago at this time, Packers faced a win in their in oh, yeah. playoff game against the Detroit Lions at Lambeau Field. Yeah. And I, you guys were like, "Oh, we got him! It's the lie." And I, I was, was the, there, Steve. Was I was, there. The was voice setting of up caution. So perfectly for us. I ah. was the voice of caution, saying, "This Lions team is better than you think." I feel a lot better about this game than I did last year. I want to be wrong. I think I'm going to be wrong. I think we're going to be nine and eight and be in the playoffs, and not eight and nine. This team is significantly the Bears team is significantly better than they were in Week One, but, but so are we. And this Bears team is not the Lions team from last year, right? They're still pretty good, though. They're getting better. Although they've been playing a lot of subpar opponents. Yeah. I mean, we'll all find out on Sunday, and then we'll know on Monday, and we'll talk about it next week. All right. Supposedly there's a a race for U.S. Senate in Wisconsin coming up. Well, we should finish the the presidential conversation, if, if we can do that. Yeah, what do, you want to, what do you want to say? I don't think people understand just how soon the vote in Iowa is. Yeah. We are Ten days. Ten days away. Yeah, I said it like three times yeah. in the first hour. I, well, I missed <laughs> so, the first half hour. Okay. Sorry. Maybe you should listen We're back. 10 days away. <laughs> the arc of this has been Trump dominant, 
fight for second. DeSantis seemed like number two. Ramaswamy was kind of the first one to make a run at maybe taking out DeSantis for the number two spot. He's crashed. Like he's out. He's gone. He burned too hot. Right. He burned too hot too fast. Now, Nikki Haley has been ascendant. And as Bill mentioned, is like, you know, clearly overtaken DeSantis in New Hampshire and is threatening to an Iowa. And there hasn't been a lot of polling since a recent exchange on the trail that probably is not great for her. So, but Christie is refusing to drop out. He's looking into the camera in New Hampshire and saying, a lot of people are saying I should drop out. I say to them, pound sand, right. because I'm the only one telling the truth about Donald Trump. And so you've got this multi-candidate field. Chris what? Christie's making a general election argument mm-hmm. against Trump, and that's I think that's his only purpose now, right? He's just going to keep hammering Trump because he wants him to lose in a general election. Yeah, Governor Sununu made that uh, argument this week about Christie. Hey, you should get out. He wants him to endorse Haley uh, doesn't. I thought that might be possible a few weeks ago. I no longer think it's possible. It doesn't. Christie also jumped all over Haley after this. Yes, yeah. I, I think it's more likely he would endorse DeSantis, frankly. Uh, but we'll see. It, you know, Christie's made this about him now. He's always wanted to be on the stage with Donald Trump. That's never going to happen. I don't think Donald Trump's going to get on the stage until there's, you know, maybe before Super Tuesday if it's still competitive. Otherwise, I think he doesn't ever get on the debate stage. And, can we, and he may not in the general election either. And I just want to stop here for a second. Why won't Donald Trump get on the stage with Chris Christie? Because Donald Trump is afraid of Chris Christie. Because Chris Christie would destroy him in a debate. It takes a bully to beat up a bully sometimes. And to all the listeners who think Trump is strong and he is brave and he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, if he's so dang great, why is he afraid of little Chris Christie? Well, you and I know the answer to that, and Steve does too. The, the answer is DeSantis is also a good debater, and so is Nikki Haley. If he's standing there defending his record, that is the one time where his supporters may say, ugh, I didn't realize that. You, you said you, you, you don't think we're going to have a debate in the, in the general election. I don't. I don't either. Has that ever happened, that we haven't had a debate? Between, sure. I, when that, was the last time? 1956. Okay, it's been a while. <laughs> wow. Wow. Way to pull that out of your head. Nice. Right? Because it wasn't until 1960 in the advent of television. Oh, that the, makes sense. Kennedy-Nixon oh, yeah. were the first televised debates. The and, then, debates. and then I think it was, well, that was 52. Was it? Because that was when Nixon was running for vice president. The checker speech. Great historical poll by my friend Bill McCoshin here. But the presidential commission on debates wasn't established until... Maybe post Watergate, like seventy four, you know, in those post Watergate reforms. Well, I think my party has decided we don't care about that commission anymore. Right? Well, have, haven't we told your them party that? also decided in twenty twenty you didn't care about having a party platform anymore and just went with whatever <laughs> details, whatever details, Trump Joel. says. That's what we're for. And had a loyalty pledge that the leader, of the current leader in the clubhouse, doesn't have to sign. So I mean, what's the point of all <laughs> yeah, of this? Yeah, and, and it's, now a, it's a pretty sick party, the Republican Party. Uh, oh, stop! It's, no, I mean like sick, like ailing, like not like gross. We all have family members who are not up to speed, not up to par. Just it's the the world we live in. You're going to have failings in your own party. Healthy political parties don't threaten to split asunder, which is what's happening with the Republican. Hey, party. real quick before the break, um, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to make a decision on whether the president has immunity. If they say he does, what happens next? Yeah, I'm not sure how many of the cases go away, but probably three out of the four the s- go away, right? The documents case doesn't. Yep. Uh, 
arguably the other three, well, I don't know that the business case does either in New York, but I think that's the weakest of all of them anyway. Presidents cannot have total immunity. We've talked about this. The vice president can't walk into the Oval Office, shoot the president of the United States in the forehead, become president under the 25th Amendment, and then say, I'm president. I, I can't be charged for this. Didn't you watch House of Cards? I, I didn't. Kill actually. somebody and I get didn't away actually. Oh, you should watch that show. It's excellent. I've never seen it. Our, our actual politics is messy enough. I don't need that Amen. in my life. In many ways, Amen. that was a foreshadowing of what was going to come. In the real world, Joseph Pecky, Bill McCosh, we'll take a break. There is supposedly a Senate race happening with Tammy Baldwin involved and maybe a Republican at some point. We'll discuss that. And then the grab bag, which Bill already teased his, which is a fascinating one. A brewer in Wisconsin just... Losing his mind <laughs> up there in beautiful Monaco, Wisconsin. We'll get to that and more after this. Oh, if you could hear these side conversations during the break. Woo! Got to get some of that on the air. All right, where are we going next? I completely forgot. because U.S. Senate race. Center U.S. Race. Senate race. Yes, Eric, Eric Hovde is apparently in, not in. What, where is he at? I He's think- half pregnant. I think he's no more thing. than that, and uh, I expect something uh, right around sometime after the Super Bowl. So probably right after February ninth. It's year. the ninth or tenth. Is that it then, Hubdi? And uh, I'm not aware of anyone else. Scott I mean, Mayer Scott Mayer does is not still... sound like he's just gonna take it and be like, "Oh, okay, somebody's running." But I think um, there's there's a window of opportunity that's being missed here, right? Particularly on the on this border crisis, Tammy Baldwin's been all in on the Biden border crisis. I think this is her greatest vulnerability. I will say again, I'll say it every week until November. She'll be a tough out. All incumbents are statewide uh, incumbents. Only one lost in America in 2022, and it was the governor of of uh, Nevada. Tammy Baldwin beat a legend in Tommy Thompson. She won handily in 2018 against Louis v- Vukmir by. 18 or 11 points means she's going to be a tough out. I think this border is her Achilles heel. And I, frankly, I think it's a lot of Democrats Achilles heel. Biden and his henchmen are saying the border's closed and we're doing fine down there. People can see with their own eyes. That's not true. It's not, it's not only not true. It's the opposite of true. It, it is, it is beyond false. And that if, if you're Eric Hovde, this is a window of opportunity to, to begin to define her on that issue. Uh, and frankly, one of the points I made earlier about the Democratic coalition, I think, is going to impact her race, too. And that's young people. She's had a couple, quote unquote, rallies that sort of went sideways on her, where she had pro Hamas people turning out, you know, screaming at her to the point where she said there ought to be a ceasefire. Well, that wasn't her original position. Her original position was the same as Biden's was. Let them do what they got to do to take out Hamas. So it sort of shows a softness in her position if she gets pushed. So my advice to Havdi is if you're going to wait till. Uh, Valentine's Day to get in, fine, but come out swinging. For those of us who don't know Eric Hovde, what do we need to know about him? Very successful businessman. Big name out of the Dane County area. His dad, Don, was a big developer in Dane County. A lot of buildings in the Madison area are named Hovde, uh, including one just off the square. Eric not only did the development business, but he's gotten into banking. He owns a massive bank on the West Coast. Uh, he's also into real estate and uh, incredibly successful guy. Uh, ran against Tommy Thompson in 2012 for U.S. Senate, barely lost. Uh, you know, we had to we had to punch him in the mouth at the end to to, to beat him, and and we did. Uh, but it was still close. And uh, he's a good guy. He's he will sell well on the on the stump, I think. And uh, I, I think he will attract suburban voters that we have lost over the last couple of cycles. Do you think he'll have more credibility on immigration because he lives in a border state of California? <laughs> 
Is that is that part of the play here? That we have a California banker, Orange County Man of the Year, is the saving grace. He just told for the you that Republican he's Party. from Wisconsin. His father was was uh, yes. always voted here. 90, Lives here. Ninety years ago, I went to a Christmas ago, party at his home. Ninety here. years ago, his grandfather started a business here. What I thought was that feels very, like a cheap shot. What jumped off the page to me in a recent Milwaukee Journal Sentinel story: Who is Eric Hovde? Because there's speculation. There's people saying he's going to be running for the Senate. Yeah, and he was asked the question. Do you spend more time every year living in Wisconsin or in California? And he refused to answer that question. Well, in my the way I read that, you kind of answered the question. Well, there's a legal answer to that question that he'll have to address. His lawyers, his lawyers have told him he can't be honest about the answer to that question. Mm. So, listen, that's not why Eric Hovde is going to lose to Tammy Baldwin. He's going to lose to Tammy Baldwin because Tammy Baldwin is a great United States senator who has gotten real things done, like Made in America provisions of big ticket items to the question of immigration tammy baldwin and democrats would like to solve this issue they are at the negotiating table in good faith saying things like here's more money for borders for closing the border here's more money for border patrol here's more money for judges to process folks and republicans like senator ron johnson are saying no deal they don't want a solution they want the issue i don't like that so fundamentally, the way to beat Tammy Baldwin is to give her voters, because she's won two statewide elections, permission to vote for somebody else. And that's not an easy trick to do. But you have to give them permission, give them the window, the, the off-ramp from supporting Tammy Baldwin maybe once, maybe twice, to supporting someone else. So it's, it's a strategic campaign uh, that I wouldn't wait too long to get rolling on. Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky will have their grab bags after this. Two minutes left. Of course, that means the grab bags. <laughs> Inside joke. Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky. Who wants to go first? Bill McCosh. Oh, I'm going to have some fun. Yeah. I want to talk about the much maligned brewer from Monaco Brewing Company, Kurt Bangstead. Yes. He's had one of the worst months I can ever remember in the history of both business and politics. Mm-hmm. Let me walk you through what, what all has happened to poor Kurt Bangstead. His first, uh, in early December, he was hit with the largest defamation suit in Wisconsin history, $750,000. Uh, he, he maligned the owner of the Lakeland Times uh, in Monaco, not smart, if you're a local businessman, and he lost seven hundred fifty grand. Largest suit, strike one for Kirk Bansett. Strike two, he decides to challenge choice in charter schools, which would have put 10% of all K-12 through students out of a school opportunity. Uh, he got not only, he filed the suit, Jill Underly, a liberal superintendent of public construction, did not support him. Governor Evers, who's not pro-choice, let me put it that way, as it relates to education, did not support him. And then the four new Supreme Court liberal majority rejected the case. They did not hear the case. So he's got to start it all over in the circuit court. Uh, so big loss for, for Kirk, choice and charter. That's strike two. Strike three just happened last week. Uh, he decided to try and personally kick Donald Trump off the ballot in Wisconsin. He was uh, told by his attorneys, you got to start with the WEC, the Wisconsin uh, Elections Commission. He filed a claim around noon, had a press conference around 1215, and by 2 o'clock, the WEC had dismissed. It went quick. The, the, the WEC had dismissed the case. So uh, Kirk Bankstead is a three-time loser in the last month. He is my political clown of the month. And uh, How's his beer? I'm told it's not great. But. Oh, I've never had it. Yeah. 
Well, he's clearly got your guys' attention, though. My goodness. Well, it's, he is a clown, and he's you know lost some big, big, big decisions. But uh, go ahead. Okay. I thought I thought the right were free speech absolutists, and everybody got to have their say and do their thing. But okay, even I, when they're dead wrong, right? I mean, that's those aren't my words. <laughs> uh, two grab bags. The first one, uh, very straightforward. Going to be a consistent pattern for me this year, I believe, with an approving economy. Two hundred sixteen thousand jobs created. Uh, in the month of December, another month where job creation exceeded expectations. Of course, the Dow is at an all-time high. Don't listen to people who are telling you that the Biden economy is not strong. It is. Second, I do want to just take a minute and end on January 6th, because today President Biden is going to make the first of a couple of speeches talking about democracy. And if they're, we're all busy. We've got lives to lead. We don't take a lot of time often to think about what it means that we, the people, are sovereign, that we have the power and the government works for us and not the other way around. And a lot of the partisan food fights and the policy differences are things we are allowed to think and care about and argue passionately about because we have the power. And we should think about and be grateful for the system that we have. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean there aren't going to be outcomes you don't like sometimes. But what happened on January 6th and what Donald Trump and his minions tried to do to overturn an election that he lost and that he knew he lost is a black stain on this country forever. And we should be grateful that there are patriots who stand up and are calling it out for what it is and trying to preserve this democracy for generations to come. And the question is, what will we learn from that day three years later? Gentlemen, we'll do it again next Friday, our regular time, 9 o'clock. Sounds good. Go Pack Go. News Go Pack Go.